And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Athletic MBA Show. Monday through on the Athletic Podcast Network. From the Golden Gate to the New York Bay. What I have access to is a bit different than the public. Tamper with you. Welcome to Tampering. We're this beautiful game of basketball that we all love and talk about every single day. Sam Amy, Anthony Slater, uh-huh. and Fred Katz. To be able to bring people together. Reportedly at the center of an NBA investigation into tampering accusations. And the message to executives in the league is stop talking about players on other teams. What did I do? The charges filed. Impermissible contact. Is right or wrong? Tampering charges are really difficult to prove. You know me, I talk. Very <laughs> <laughs> awkward to even talk about. I can't even mention teams anymore. Actually, what I like to play when coming to rank. Trial, you're one with tampering. They're always ahead of the rules. Is that rocket science? I have tamper with the guys. I didn't tamper. I'm just telling you what happened. I'm just telling you what happened. Here's your host, Sam Amick. Hello and welcome to the Tampering Podcast, part of the Athletic NBA Show Network. I'm Sam Amick, NBA National Writer at The Athletic, coming to you on Halloween. Happy Halloween, everybody. By the time you listen to this, the candy is going to be all over your house. Your your kids are going to be fighting uh, their blood sugar issues, but that's okay. Everybody hopefully had a great time. Here with our regular guys, we got Fred Katz out east. Anthony Slater out west. What's up, gentlemen? I feel like you were projecting what your day is going to be like, for, <laughs> you know, your next 24 hours. That's true. Talking to two guys without kids in their house. Uh, you know, I, that's all right. I'm on my dad island over here. Uh, yeah, it'll be fun. You know, we we got the house rocked out a little bit with with uh, spooky stuff. And uh, so one kid's going as an anime character that means nothing to me, but he got a big old like Grim Reaper sword and a and a gnarly, evil-looking black gown. So we, we got some of that action happening here. What, what What's your guys' Halloween looking like? I'm in Miami. Absolutely so nothing. Yeah, I mean, mine could theoretically be weird. I mean, I'm in the middle of a road trip. I, I don't plan to, like, dress up. But if I go out and, like, have some dinner or something in Miami tonight, I have a feeling it could turn into a strange night. Fred, tell me he's not the perfect candidate to just pivot perfectly into a Miami Vice costume with that slick back hair and that cool swag and that look to me, that's the that could work move. great. Yeah. <laughs> except on the, the white, pinks I mean, and white blues. Oh yeah. 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 Sam, maybe if I'm like, you know, in California or in my hometown or something and it's like, Oh wow. Miami vice costume. If I go walk on South beach, trying to pull off a <laughs> Miami vice thing, people will just be like, who's this random dude? Does he even know what's Halloween? Right. Right. Next you should go to Disneyland and, and dress up as Mickey mouse. Yeah. I hear you. Um, well, it's scary time. Hey, there's the segue, guys. Uh, scary time in the NBA season. Today, we are going to kind of have an offshoot of, of a similar discussion we had last week when it was believe, don't believe. You know, what, what are you thinking is real right now in this early NBA season versus what is not? But more specifically, and shout out Mr. Katz for, for coming up with this concept that I think will be fun to get into and timely and, and definitely worth discussing is it's believe, don't believe the borderline contender edition, meaning... We got a bunch of teams who 
are, you know, kind of playing well, playing medium, playing average, playing below expectations, that we want to share opinions and views and intel and insight on, you know, essentially where we think they are actually going versus what the record looks like. And, and guys, we're going to go out east, we're going to go west, but in, in honor of the guy who came up with the idea, let's start out east. Um, Mr. Donovan Mitchell and his Cleveland Cavaliers are uh, entering today 5-1, and one, playing their tails off, looking incredible. Donovan has got that city on fire. I saw our Jason Lloyd wrote a, a very flattering column about how Donovan is better than he thought he was. I think he had 38-12 and 12 against Fred's Knicks, so that's also a fitting starting point of this conversation. Uh, guys, what, what are we thinking about the Cavs? I'm in on I the Cavs. <laughs> we know that man. You, be, you actually called the Donovan Mitchell trade like early. I feel like, um, yeah. But what? Tell me, tell me about this thirty-eight and twelve we put on the Knicks. Like, you know, what was what was the general vibe of the Knicks fan base as that's going on? It was the closest thing to a revenge game that I've ever watched. That wasn't a revenge game. Like it was, it what was amazing. You know, every. It means that, you know, when a guy goes up against his former team, he comes with a little extra swagger. He's going against them. You're this like, This is oh, the okay, why didn't you know? trade for me game? It's it's 2012 <laughs> and Melo's going up against the Nuggets and that's yeah, a yeah, big deal. Yeah. And he's going to have a little extra pep in his step because he's going against his former team. Well, Donovan Mitchell, it's kind of a revenge game, but it's not a revenge game because he never played for the Knicks. It was just this, this weird vibe, and and you could just tell he was he was going 100 miles an hour. He hit five threes in the first nine minutes. Wow. In the first quarter, he had five assists. I mean, he came out just throwing haymakers. He had one of the best dunks of the season, too, because slicing into the middle of the lane, going to a spin move and then a right-hand slam, it was, it was incredible. I mean, he played great. I... I said that the Cavs should be a dark horse contender, like Slater referenced before, before they were they were even out there to to go get Donovan Mitchell. I just thought it made sense with their young core. That's true. I uh, remember that. I said that the Cavs were the dark horse team in the East before they traded for Donovan Mitchell and and thought they had a chance to win fifty games without Donovan Mitchell. And now that they have Donovan Mitchell, and now that they're playing really freaking well, and they haven't even had Darius Garland, man, why the hell am I jumping off of them now? Like they're Right now, they are fifth in offense. They're third in defense. They're second in net rating. Uh, they are by far the best three-point shooting team in the NBA to this point. They made 23 threes last night. Kevin Love is playing out of his mind. And, and meanwhile, like they haven't really gotten anything out of it. They, they had one big game, 41-point game from Karis LeVert, and that was about it. He's shooting like 34% so far. Uh, everybody is shooting the lights out, and they don't even have their best three-point shooter in Darius Garland. I think Garland and Mitchell are a, are a wonderful fit together. They make perfect sense offensively, and they have the rim protection on the back end with Mobley and Allen to be able to make up for those guys' deficiencies defensively at the top of the defense. Like Cleveland is... I'm not picking them to make the conference finals. I'm not going that far, but like if they get a good draw, like they're they're in the mix. Like there is a non-zero chance that Cleveland ends up winning at least a couple of playoff series. Uh and and, and I like them for next year and the year after that when those young guys get even better. Can, can I submit a candidate for best non-revenge revenge game? Is it, it please. So is the criteria that you you it's a revenge game but you never actually played for the team? I assume that's what we're we're, we're calling yeah. it. 
the Jordan Bell cash considerations game. Do you guys wow. remember that one? <laughs> Would it be on brand here, buddy? <laughs> do you remember that I one? The, I actually do. Yeah, of yeah. course you do. That was it was a big thing at the time. The, the Bulls. For anyone who doesn't remember, the Bulls traded the pick to the like it was like thirty fifth overall or something, uh, early second round pick to the Warriors for cash. He looked like a steal for where the Warriors got him. He was blocking shots. He was turning to the Bulls bench and doing like the money sign and stuff. Uh, and then they went to Chicago a few weeks later and like the Bulls fans who were just so distraught that they like sold Jordan, Jordan Bell in the draft were wearing like cash consideration shirts. I remember a radio media member came into the Warriors locker room and gave Bell a, a cash considerations bullish shirt and he was like wearing it in the locker room. So that's my that's my candidate, especially because it's kind of funny in retrospect that that was such a big deal. Wow. Very on brand. Uh, what do we think about the eventual merging of the Garland-Mitchell backcourt? Uh, I just looked it up to remind – I didn't know Garland's status. So he's got the eye injury. Seems to be coming back relatively soon. Uh, I mean, it's one of those things where we sometimes see injuries just elevate you know, a guy in the way that it seems to have – you know, Donovan's not really sharing the ball all that much right now. What do you think of that eventual pairing, Mr. Katz? I think it's really good. To be honest, like Donovan Mitchell isn't like your go-to um, run the offense point guard. There are still moments where he'll get into the lane and he'll miss a corner three shooter. He'll he'll go up with two guys on him, and he's been hyper efficient and he's shooting like forty six from three. and And that's that's not going to last on his volume. Uh, but he's really good when he has an outlet who can be like, "You run this pick and roll." And Garland, meanwhile. He's a score first point guard, but I don't think of him as a selfish player. Uh, I think he he works with guys very, very well. Those two guys being able to take you off the dribble, they have two guards who can take you off the dribble, break you down off the dribble, and are also going to be extremely valuable as spacers off the ball because uh, you can't leave them open because they're going to hit the shot. The pull-up three is tremendously valuable in the game. And Garland last year shot better than 40% on pull-up threes. He was one of the two or best high-volume pull-up three-point shooters in the league. Donovan Mitchell is like 36, 37 on pull-up threes, which is really, that's that's elite territory on pull-up threes. Having two guys at the top of your offense who can do that with a top-notch rim roller like Jared Allen, with the way that Mobley is able to kind of just be a, a Swiss Army knife inside of that, man, if they can figure out what they're going to do with the three, uh, they... I just think they're really dangerous. I think those guys work together so well offensively and, and Mobley and Allen are going to cover up the stuff in the back end. Like they were fifth in defense last year. They're third in defense right now. I just, that team, Kevin Love has really settled in as an excellent bench player. He hit like 900 threes last night. They, I think they're good. I think they're legitimately really good. I, I just, I'm maybe I'll eat crow, but I, I think that team really has a chance. As an aside, we got to figure out some of these old idioms in, in English language. Eating crow, haymakers, you know, on, on Halloween, you know, it, that's where my mind is at. I don't know what all these things mean. Uh, good stuff on the Cavs. I'm going to make it a quick executive decision and say, for the sake of balance, uh, let's jump back and forth between the East and the West. And I'm going to also try to jump back and forth between teams that are playing well right now, like the Cavs. And now in the West, there's not, <laughs> we will eventually get to your Brooklyn Nets who are not playing well. There's not anybody playing as poorly as the Nets. So I'm going to pick uh, one of the more, uh, you know, kind of a bunch of four and two teams here. Uh, let's dive over to the Memphis Grizzlies. And I'll lead it off, guys. Uh, I saw them 
recently. The they are four and two right now. I don't know the schedule for tonight, so apologies to the listeners. We might be a game off here. Um, but four and two. They're at Utah again tonight. So oh, that's right. Rematch. They had the old little back to back action. Yeah, or, or two straight games out there for sure. Um, revenge. I saw Reven- them. <laughs> Can we call this a non revenge revenge game tonight? No, yes. Utah. Yes. Yeah, they've been on the road for a minute. They came through Sacramento, um, took care of the Kings. You know, I got to to chat with Taylor Jenkins for a while, with Desmond Bain a little bit, and, and got a taste of kind of where they're at. Um, you know, they like I said, they're four and two. They they are dangerous. We know in the off season, uh, you know, our, our John Hollinger wrote what I thought was a, a really good piece about how they didn't do a lot. They kept their powder dry this summer in terms of improving this roster that came so close to knocking the Warriors out of the playoffs. That was one of the criticisms. They are leaning into development and essentially trying to get a good sense early on what some of their young prospects can do with Jaron Jackson Jr. still out um, and going that road. And, and we'll see what they do, if anything, before the trade deadline. But talented as ever, uh, I am a believer. You know, I don't know where they're going to wind up, but they are absolutely a contender, guys. They're weird. They they got off to such a slow start defensively last year. And then remember, they completely turned it around. And they're kind of doing the same thing again. Like they're they're really struggling defensively. And that that's a thing that I mean, I'm I'm with you. I, 20, I'm not really worried. Where they at? 28th defensively right now. Yeah. Yeah. And at, honestly, I'm not really worried because they don't have Jaron Jackson Jr. back. And right. that is such a big it's such a big thing for them to be able to have Jaron Jackson because he covers up so many of the struggles that they are having on on the defensive end and, and in the paint. When they have him and Steven Adams out there together, especially when he's able to play the four, when he plays the five, Jaron Jackson's foul trouble just goes, it goes crazy. He averages like more than five fouls per 36 and, and ends up on the bench too much. But when he can play the four next to Steven Adams, which I think is a big reason why they they extended Adams and want to keep him along because those yep. two are a good mix defensively together. That that defense, it's another another level. They they miss Dylan Brooks for some too, and that's obviously a a, a big difference with him on the wing. But I, I'm with you, and and I'm ignoring the most important part. Like Ja looks amazing, man. Ja looks amazing. He looks. I mean, he, he's MVP caliber. Um, incredible. And they are. I, I did ask Taylor about Ja's development, and and you know, predictably, but rightfully so. He talked a lot about all the stuff that we saw last year where it's jaw was great, but you know, the defensive issues, um, playing off the ball, a little bit more issues and, and just trying to have him not be a spectacular one man show, but be the guy that that can lift a team. And, you know, we saw last year, they played so well without him. Um, and that's where the conversation about their depth taking a step backward this year was so relevant, right? Because, you know, that's what made him dangerous. I mean, jaw could head for the sidelines and they were still dominant and, and it remains to be seen, if they can do that this year, the one guy that I didn't know a lot about going in admittedly, and, and, you know, got my attention when I was there, um, as I now delay, cause I lost my page here. Jake um, I believe you're about to tell us. You, I couldn't catch you Slater. Say it again. So Jake LaRavia, I think you were about to uh, tell us about what did he get? Like six threes. Against Killed the Kings. No, that, Killed that wasn't, Kings. it was their big Satima. Now, now Schleck's going Santi to Aldama. Santi Aldama. Thank you. Thank you. Good Lord. My Wi-Fi is not helping. Um, yeah. I mean, so the, it's a calculated risk 
by Zach Kleiman in their front office to see some of these prospects through. But again, they've got all their picks. They've got, you know, they, they made an offer on Kevin Durant back when that was what everybody was doing. And, and, you know, but, but as we remember at the time, it was an offer in which they wouldn't give up Jaron or, uh, or Desmond Bain, which is, you know, not the kind of offer that's going to move the needle for Brooklyn. So they're in a fantastic spot. And I do think the roster, you know, could have some, some kind of, you know, uh, improvements around the edges in the next couple of months. Let me, let me ask you, have you guys already chatted much about Desmond Bain? No, we have not. No, let's get into Desmond Bain because yeah. he is he is better again. Like he Yeah, is way so better. he looks like he, like, trimmed up. I mean, he's still obviously – I mean, he's like a big – he kind of looks like a football linebacker out there. He always has. But he seems like he's, like, really gotten in good shape. He's a little bit quicker. You know, last we saw him in the playoffs, that playoff series against the Warriors, remember it was like – I think his back had tightened up. Like he, remember, he was, like, very hampered in that series. It was kind of the undertold – storyline of that series which is mostly remembered for not only the histrionics but also jaw going down in the middle of it um bane was just limited he was bad in that series he's come back looks in really good shape and he's been just been great early in the season i'm what is he, he's 44 percent from three so far which is like really what he is for his career 43.5 damn near 10 at game, 25 man. of 56 on threes and yeah. it's not just like Jaw, go make a play. I'm standing on the wing. I'm going to catch and shoot when you get it to me. He's like doing off the dribble stuff. Uh, he's just, he looks like he's made another jump. This is only year three, but like the guy clearly improves like year over year. I know it's I, I early. I think he's one of the five. I think he's one of the five best shooters in the league now. Yeah. I, I think, think you're right. I think he really is. I think he's that good. Like he, he's, man, he is unstoppable. And by the way, Jaw, thing to watch. Ja is hitting like all of his threes. And if if he's going to be hitting threes off the dribble, that's I, I don't know what the hell you're supposed to do about that. Like, I, I mean, we're talking, you know, first team all NBA type season, MVP type season. Right. Yeah. He's 56 and a half percent from three right now. No, they look great. And uh, Fred, because it's on brand for you, I got to I'd be remiss if I didn't share a quick anecdote from your old buddy, Stephen Adams. I, I walked through the tunnel <laughs> to go to Grizzly shoot around. I see Steven. He says, hello. And I hadn't seen him in quite some time. So I couldn't help myself. I said, Hey, big fella. Uh, do I still have a, an open invitation to New Zealand? If I ever get to that part of the world, you know, cause he's just a very hospitable guy who kind of runs around telling folks that they should come visit him in his homeland. Uh, to which he said, Oh yeah, mate, I'll, I'll get you good fucked up. <laughs> so that's the kind of invitation i like that's on brand yeah. yes that's yes. on brand same dude who used to train in the still does i think train in the off season when it was like from the gym to the to the pub with some guinness uh and then back to the gym again that's how he rolls all right so we well, are when he was in when he was in okc sam he used to the the best steven adams training was that when he was in okc he used to practice his free throws in between practicing free throws, he'd have a Thunder assistant coach who was now actually an assistant in Memphis named Darko Ryakovich. Darko yep. used to uppercut punch him in the stomach in between his free throws when he was at the practice facility because he would get beat up so much in the game that he felt like it would be simulating a game if he just took uppercuts to the stomach from this like That's jacked amazing. assistant coach, Darko. Right, he would, right, right. He'd, so he'd, he'd punch him, legit punch him in the stomach between. So he would just take a punch and shoot a free throw. It was... <laughs> I think One so. You said that's yeah. Darko's in Memphis now, right? Yeah, he's in Memphis. So yeah, I think that was the same coach. The other quick Stephen story. Uh, I think pregame, he walks up 
to Darko as they were just shooting and guys are out on the court. And you remember the the infamous white man handshake that Steven was known for when he would, you know, on camera for the local telecast. Nick just Collison. awkwardly Yeah, with Nick Collison with the Thunder. He would awkwardly shake, you know, you know, very uncomfortably and it just was a little bit of a bit that he would do back in those days. So I see him go out and I'm pretty sure it was Darko and he's greeting the group of guys who are about to work him out pregame. And he goes for what appears to be the awkward white man handshake. Although right as they go to connect hands, both guys pull back and then flip each other off. <laughs> this is also apparently part of his. Sounds CDM right. Routine. They're, yeah. they're, they're extremely close. And right. They have been for a long time. So right. This all, all right. Let's this keep all it moving. Sense. Yeah. It all makes sense. Um, all right. Eastern conference, man, I couldn't get to this team quick enough. Uh, you're Brooklyn nets. I'm saying you're cause you're the New Yorker there, Fred. Uh, my goodness, one in five, your classic, you know, I, I've, I've heard Zach Lowe just call them the on paper team that they should have a, you know, a, an office a supply sponsorship of some sort, because on paper they have all this talent and he is correct. And I agree. And I did kind of go into this season. I mean, you know, far be it from us to, to pay attention to the basketball talent. So you did have that part of you that felt like, man, I know Kevin asked out. I know Kyrie was touch and go for a while and had a lot of drama and we haven't seen Ben Simmons in a while, but my God, they got a lot of talent, but you know, we are seeing everything go down the, the other direction where the talent is not mattering nearly as much as the lack of chemistry. Steve Nash is clearly already at wit's end, uh, trying to figure out how to get them going, but, uh, but one in five. And, and we of course have, you know, Kyrie and his, uh, you know, his Kyrie activity that never ceases uh, to amaze or, in a lot of cases, offend. But a lot of stuff going on there. What do you guys think of the Nets? Ben Simmons averaged 15.8 points, 16.9 points, 16.4 points, and, and 14.3 points his first four years in the league. Obviously, he didn't play last year. He's currently averaging 6.2 points. Uh, he's taken 5.7 shots per game. I mean, we're talking about a guy who historically has taken 12 or 11 per game, really, like like from his rookie season I'm talking about, and shot 55%, 58% I'm looking at in his best year. He's shooting 44% right now. Um, he's just not the same player, and that doesn't even get to the defensive end where he is supposed to be there, you know, do everything, defensive player of the year candidate, which he was. Remember the year it was like him and Gobert? It was like a legitimate debate. Yeah. Um, there's so much other too. things yeah. going around the nets, obviously, and, and we can get to them if you want. But like my biggest thing, my biggest takeaway from watching the first six games, just from a basketball perspective, is like that guy's a shell of himself. Maybe that's understandable. He's gone clearly through the back thing, the mental health stuff that he's talked about, and uh, you know, rusty from just not playing for a long time. And maybe he will get back to it. But as I watch that team, and you mentioned like the theoretical theory, you know, the theory of what we thought they could maybe be. Well, that includes a much better Ben Simmons. Yes, it does. Their defense is 30th. Such a problem. Yeah. Oh. And 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 I think it's not quite this bad. Like they're giving up the worst three-point shooting in the league. They're giving up 44% three-point shooting. And they're giving up part of that is because they teams are shooting like extremely well on wide open threes against them. But they're also giving up like the fifth or sixth most wide open threes in the league. I mean, they just don't cover anybody. And I think part of it is um, that Simmons just hasn't looked like himself, you know, defensively. I mean, 
with Ben Simmons, I figured, okay, we don't know what we're going to get offensively. We don't know how the fit is going to be with Nick Claxton and him out there together. And by the way, him and Nick's Cla- Nick Claxton out there together, I feel very confident saying that's just not going to work on offense. Like it's just not. And I wonder if they're going to get to a place where Joe Harris gets into the starting lineup over Claxton and you just kind of play with Simmons as your five and, and you have Royce O'Neal and Harris and KD and Simmons and all those guys switch and try to get a lot of turnovers and run and play fast and all that. And maybe that's the way to do it. Uh, but, but man, like Simmons, I you expect him to come out there and to be able to guard everybody and to be able to guard everybody at an elite level and to be able to stay in front of guys and force guys into the positions where they want to go, where they don't want to go. And, and we've seen some of that. We haven't seen that at like a first team all defense level, which is, which is, a high expectation, but but the realistic expectation for a guy who played that way for years previously. It's just he was supposed to be the defensive linchpin, you know, and it hasn't hasn't been the case. And they also just look like, man, there's so many times where they just don't run down the floor. He's also they just com- don't do it. Ben Simmons is committing the strangest fouls. I mean, what is it? He fouled out of what, like two of the first three games and it's like I saw him miss a runner and then like Brooke Lopez had the rebound. Like Brooke Lopez is standing there, like has already secured the rebound. And he just like races towards him and tries to like strip it away and like hacks him on the arm. And you're just like, why, why are you going and trying to strip Brooke Lopez after he secured a rebound? It's just, I don't know, odd decision making. But anyway. It is. And I mean, the the elephant in the room with Kyrie basketball-wise and then off the court, it just I don't know where it's going. It has to be going somewhere not good in terms of the Nets basketball prospects because, you know, my God, you're now talking about years upon years of distractions for various reasons. Um, and they were obviously at their wits end in the off season, you know, with dealing with Kyrie. And, and that was obviously just mostly related to, you know, his vaccine choice and being away from the team. And then, you know, Sean Marks tried to take the hard line and, and uh, and it backfired a bit, and then they tried to to kind of reunite this little marriage here, and the the you know the latest situation where he is openly promoting material that is widely considered to be anti-Semitic is that story that situation is not going away, especially because he is being incredibly defiant on that front. Uh, you know, I do feel like we should take a second, just my opinion, to say extremely job well done to Nick Friedle of ESPN when he challenged Kyrie in his press conference and, and, you know, and tried to get the point across that, you know, that that platform that Kyrie has uh, and that he makes um, use of so often, but then conveniently at times wants to pretend he doesn't have, um, you know, right now has hurt and offended a, a massive community of people. And, and he's not apologetic. He's not remorseful. He's not, you know, anything, uh, not doing anything that would make this story go away. So basketball wise, where does that leave the Nets? Where does that leave Kyrie? And if you're Kevin Durant, where you were, you know, five minutes ago asking out, you know, where does that put your mental focus on the court? And I, it's hard to keep jumping between hoops and the off-court stuff, but such is life with the Nets. You know, guys, Kevin, I just peeked at it here. Um, individually, having, you know, great numbers like always, he's got one of the worst plus minuses on the team this year, minus 11.2. So even what KD's doing is not I don't, working. I don't know what it currently is, but like five days ago, he had the worst plus minus in the league. You know, and that's not like, oh, Kevin Durant is playing so poorly, but they're getting crushed when he's on the court, which is yeah. a good thing. Well, you're right. I mean, it's, you know. You, you know what's wild? Here's here's a wild one. So it's only six games in, but I I, I – 
I just, it, this still blows my mind. The Nets only hope was for KD, Kyrie, Ben Simmons. When those three are on the floor, they, they kill other teams. That is their only hope for them to be really good. Like they have to annihilate other teams when those three guys are on the floor because they just don't have the pieces behind Joe Harris, is a good player. Seth Curry is a good player. They're going to win because they have those three stars. That is how they're constructed. And those three guys are supposed to kill people. And I'm getting very 2021-22 Lakers vibes from them. Where like the Lakers had their three guys. They were supposed to kill with those three guys. And then they ended up being a net negative when those three guys are on the floor. What three right guys, now, Fred? Oh, <laughs> I got to pay myself a dollar. Damn it. We, we talking Lakers later. Don't right. worry about that. Oh, I got to pay myself a dollar. You're right. I violated it. I, I mentioned <laughs> Russell Westbrook. I mentioned the Lakers. I'm done. Just suspend me. Uh, but with Kevin Durant, Ben Simmons, Kyrie Irving on the floor, the Nets are minus 6.6 per 100 possessions. And I know it's only six games, but man, the fact that they could have a six game stretch where minus 6.6, like that's really bad. And that's according to cleaning clean the glass. Like that's really bad. You don't. You, you can't stand for that. They're supposed to kill teams. They're not supposed to be okay. They're supposed to destroy teams when those three guys are out there and, and they're getting wrecked. It's it's, And they've had a tough schedule. They, I know they've had a tough schedule, but like, it looks bad. It just they looks have, bad. They lose to New Orleans. They lose to Memphis, Milwaukee, Dallas, Indiana. Uh, Toronto's the only win so far. Uh, you know, by the time the pod comes out, they will have played Indiana. See what happens there. Uh, it's a doable schedule from there. Chicago, Washington, Charlotte, Dallas, your Knicks. So, you know, maybe they can get it going here. But I, I, you know, again, February and the trade deadline is a long ways away. But I would love to be a fly on the wall in the Nets front offices right now because, you know, Joe Sy, if anybody missed it, their owner, of course, had essentially admonished Kyrie on online. And, and uh, so, so much going on out there. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. 
Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Let's keep it moving um, and jump back to the West um, on a, a, a little bit of a, a happier, unexpected, unorthodox, unconventional story. Your Utah Jazz are just out there Making the locals happy, they they beat Memphis, and I saw a uh, a tweet from colleague Tanya Ganguly of the New York Times that, talking about the stadium rocking. You know that's not what we expected because she was out there at that game. Uh, we did not expect Jazz fans to be bringing the house down here in, in late October, early November. They are five and two. Um, can't wait to see Danny Ainge's end game here. He's got all these players that are clearly extremely capable and that have not been sidelined and that are being given the freedom to go compete and win and and right now be damn near at the top of the Western Conference. Guys, you're Utah Jazz. They're fun. Like they they play crazy crazy hard. Like I I don't know. I don't think we're talking about borderline contenders. They're they're not a borderline contender. But like <laughs> yes, Markinen Markinen has had some some huge moments. Uh, Jordan Clarkson is, is playing much more unselfishly. Not that Clarkson was a selfish player, but he's, you know, a dude who goes out there and his job is to go get his own. And Kelly Olenek is actually hitting every single shot in, in existence. And they're, they're running these fun Olenek marketing actions and they are defending really, really well. Like, like Jared Vanderbilt is defending really well and they play super hard and, they're fun. I I don't know what the hell is going to be made of it because they're they're, you know, we all know that Utah wants to reach the bottom or went into it wanting to reach the bottom, but like, you know, Danny Ainge is also really 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 competitive. He's like a wildly competitive person, and I just I I wonder they have so many picks from other teams. Uh, I wonder if they feel like okay, we're we're missing out on Wembenyama. It's too late. Right. Where our chances of getting number one, we're just realistically, we're not getting there. We're going to end up in a best case scenario with like the seventh best lottery odds. Screw it. Let's get the plan. Like I, 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 I'm not saying that's definitely happening. I just, I wonder yeah, at what point see does that flip? Cause like, man, the same, you know, Danny, Danny is just so competitive. Like, well, but he's, he he's competitive, but you hit on, you hit it on the head a, a second ago. He's got so many picks, uh, that you know, and again, the odds are so slim that even if you do Vic for Brick or Brick for Vic, I had it backwards. Then you know that you're looking at 14% odds at best, um, and it makes me think a little bit of again because I was around Miami recently as well, and we'll talk about them in a little bit here. Um, I heard a story from one of their people that uh, kind of lands here because these 
high-level organizations that are competitive. Now, granted, the Jazz are under new ownership still, last couple of years. So we kind of remains to be seen exactly what the culture is, and, and, and I would not be putting them on par with the Heat in terms of caliber of organization, but they are a very solid organization. So Miami, a couple of years ago, uh, and the way, you know, I didn't fact-check this yet, so I think the numbers are accurate, but they start 10-31 and 31 a couple of years back and have this predictable conversation about, all right, is it time to tank? And, you know, that's what all teams do at that point. Well, it's Miami. They don't like doing that kind of thing. They gave their team a chance to kind of get their heads above water. They kind of flipped the entire season. They they have basically the same record in reverse um, going down the back end. And when it comes draft time, they get Bam out of bio. You know what I mean? Like you talk about the basketball gods and and just kind of trusting that things will work out. You know, you get Bam out of bio in the late lottery. And uh, that's the way they roll. And I think maybe, you know, maybe that's the way Utah rolls. Although Danny's phone's going to be blowing up because these guys, when you talk about Markinen and Clarkson and even the older guys with, you know, Mike Conley and, and whatnot, Malik Beasley, you know, Sexton's part of their future. But the phone is going to be ringing there, like you said, Obviously not title contenders. They're just a fun story early on with a ton of intrigue about how they handle it from here. Welcome back, Mr. Yeah, Slater. They're uh there there might be a little bit of 2021-22 Wizards in them where they started 10 and 3 and then ended up winning 35 sure. games. Right. But and the pieces there were weird and off, and like there might be a little bit of that. But also shout shouts to Will Hardy. Yeah. Even in a loss, it's like they're doing disruptive stuff. Like like they they lose to Denver the other night, but they hold Jokic to three of ten with six assists. Like they're 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 playing like a well coached team right now. It reminds me a little bit of the Dagnall hire in Oklahoma City. You go with a coach who's clearly aligned with the front office and what they want to do, but also has like, you know, a, a history in, in development. And um, you know, you kind of give them this testing ground um with with well didn't he sign a he sounded like a five-year deal or something like that like they definitely like committed to to hardy um right. and you you're not only you know trying to find if you can you know what players you can develop and, and you're also trying to find a coach to potentially develop long term isn't that kind of what the heat did with spolster back in the day spolster coached some bad heat teams back in the day obviously eventually lebron's teams and all that but um, yeah, Hardy's been impressive, but those generally Yeah, no, we'll we'll see where it goes. I, you know, I probably I think, like you said, Fred, the Wizards comparison is is a good one. I think that's probably where it heads, but a fun start early on. And again, we're probably going to see these guys on that who are on the Jazz now, you know, doing good things for contenders later on in the year. Um, let's keep it moving. Our list is still fairly long. Uh, let's jump over back to the East, the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, you know, I feel like they're fairly massive move to go get DeJounte Murray in the summer, you know, got lost in all the Nets shuffle and the Lakers drama and this and that. I mean, you know, that was a, a a significant move for them and a franchise that was obviously trying to find the right guy to put next to Trey Young and, you know, and, and who has been here, you know, which has been butting its head up against contention for a couple of years and, and, and having some good moments, but not getting there consistently. And then obviously a big regression last year, um, Trey Young, just to drop a few stats here before I throw it to you guys, you know, record-wise, Slater, you can tell me what they got going tonight if you have it in front of you, but they are 4-2 and two at present. Um, young Trey Young is giving them... At Toronto. At, okay. So That's just a good game, by the way. Yeah, no doubt. 
So Trey, I mean, he's he's doing Trey things. Thirty-one and a half points. Uh, you know, shooting a little bit down, forty-one percent overall, thirty-three from three. Um, almost ten assists a game. You know, thirty-one and ten almost is is pretty tremendous stuff. Dejounte Murray is at twenty points a game, seven and a half assists. My goodness, I mean, I I can't imagine there's a another pairing that that is giving you almost eighteen assists a game. Uh, that's impressive right there. But they, uh, you know. They've had some good moments coming out of the gate. What do we think of of the uh, remodeled Hawks here? I just don't think they've played anyone. You know, I'm looking at their schedule now. Um, Houston, Orlando, two wins. Okay. Lost to Charlotte. Beat Detroit twice. Lost to Milwaukee. There's not a result within there. I mean, they're four wins. More than the Warriors could do, Slater, beating Detroit. (laughs) Hey. If you want to get into their problems, I, yeah, mean, yeah. I generally agree with you. But yeah. I just mean like it's it's kind of a fake four and two start in some ways. Like these, you know, sure they're playing fine. I'm not here to like criticize how they're they're playing, but I just I'm not ready to you know red light blinking contender. Look what's happening over here. I just uh, I do you know look the Murray higher higher the Murray trade is. Uh, I mean, it's early, but I think it's going to work out well. I mean, I, again, it's a little bit like Gobert. Should they have given up their future for that? We'll see. But you know, I saw him block Cade Cunningham in isolation to help seal one of those Pistons wins. Like, he's a really good player. They're probably better than even the team that kind of, you know, remember the team that went to the conference finals. So could that happen again? Some unlikely run to the conference finals, maybe. But I just think four and two is a little overselling it early. That's all. Yeah, no, I agree. I don't see them as contenders. Uh, we, we we lose kind of focus on our question here a little bit. As far as that contender question, I say uh, no. They're going to be a good team that wins a lot of games, and, and the Murray thing does help them, but I, you know they need more. I don't know if it's a John Collins move or what they end up doing, but I think they need more. Yeah, I think, I think the same of them as I did coming into the year. I think they're a play-in team. You know, the the defense right now, they're, they're 17th in defense, I think, and they're giving up a, a really low percentage on three pointers, which is probably going to go up. So, so I I do think it's plausible that that team really does end up bottom half of the league for sure, and and maybe bottom ten in defense. And if that's going to be the case, it's it's just really going to limit them. Uh, the stat with them that I am watching is after after years of them just not being able to win the minutes with Trey Young off the floor and, and Trey Young's defense and him getting pulverized at times is what really gets the the headlines but they've just really consistently struggled to win the minutes with Trey Young off they just don't have a guy to run the offense and and DeJounte Murray was going to help with that uh, the stat that I am going to be monitoring throughout the season is are the Hawks winning the minutes the Trey Young without DeJounte Murray's minutes and are they winning the DeJounte Murray without Trey Young minutes? And right now they're both a minus. And that's not really concerning to me yet because it's early and they're integrating Murray and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but it's just that is a thing that I'm watching because if they can win the DeJounte Murray without Trey Young minutes, I, I think it might change my perspective on on that team because that that just makes them consistently good for 48 minutes straight. Good stuff. All right, let's jump back out west as we uh, as we make our way through this list here. The T Wolves, uh, who I was a believer in going into the season in terms of their go big or go home approach, uh, are currently four and three. Um, they have looked very mediocre. If anybody reading our John Krasinski can attest, he has been breaking that down very well. Not a great thing, and, and 
Fred, this will be another one for the swear jar. But when, you know, our, our Minnesota columnist is writing pieces about how the Lakers, Pat Beverly and the T-Wolves are, are both still in pursuit of the play-in magic that they captured last season. Uh, you know, they can't even get it anywhere near that level. Um, you know, Minnesota has beat beaten Oklahoma City twice. You talk about soft schedules. Then uh, San Antonio with also an L. The surging thunder. Yes. Those aren't easy thunder. wins these days. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to, you know, I'm, my audio today is not as good, so I'm trying to give Andrew to, like, at least, you know, I'm, I'm cupcaking him a little bit. But the thunder looked pretty good the other day. Sorry, sure. go ahead. No worries. We're talking yeah. most. We're talking contenders. You know what's crazy? You know what? You know what's crazy? The Thunder have not played any lineup more than 35 possessions yet. That's how much they're mixing and matching. Isn't that wild? That is wild. Mark Dagnall's also- just throwing stuff at the wall. And like he's just throwing Isaiah Joe in with five minutes left and down 16. And he's just hitting nine threes to, know, like- to beat Dallas. I just want to know where Fred Katz, like what, like why that stat even like rolled, yes. you know, kind of like was was presented in front of you. In your life, how did you get to Fred. the point where you're like, <laughs> how many possessions is the most used Thunder lineups through seven games? Because you know what you should do. My life of- is purposeless. It is a series of rabbit holes on synergy and watching random ass pick and roll coverages, and I just can't stop. You know what you should do instead of looking up OKC lineup data is literally anything. Put something on those walls behind you. You look like a serial killer. There's nothing on the walls behind you because you're just too busy. Put up lineup data behind you. You know, yeah, that's what. Oh my! That's what gosh. I should do. I should have a whiteboard. I can have all the lineup data. Right over here. Yeah, Sam Presti style. Remember his office in OKC that no one's allowed to see that's got, you know, the similar serial killer type vibes? Don't describe Uh, it, Sam. You're going to find a horse's head in your bed tomorrow morning. All right. (laughs) Schleck, don't tell him out in OKC. Tumbleson's going to come for So the Minnesota Timberwolves. Yeah, yeah. You got it down Uh, this rabbit hole. Minnesota, man, I don't know. We'll see where they go. They... Uh, hey, remember, remember early on what our, our season preview. I I put them out there as the potential, you know, dark horse for uh, bad vibes, good team uh, category because I just it's just a tricky fit. I mean, and we're seeing it early on. It's just like hard to fit these guys all together. And like obviously that was most highlighted the day that Anthony Edwards tells the world that he likes playing in small lineups when they just committed to this like long-term future with two of the biggest players in the league. Uh, I thought you were going to talk about the Popeye's chicken saga. That was another bad vibes moment. Well, you know, when Carl comes in and judges the hell out of him. Yeah. Yes. That was interesting. They're fifth in and defense, then, yeah. which is what a Rudy Gobert team should be. They're 22nd in offense. Um, you know, they have time to improve those vibes, but yeah, Mr. Edwards, you know, and 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 Cat have got to get it together. Um, you know, I don't know what other takeaways you guys have, but they they look you know fairly average so far. They're going to win games, but they don't look like a contender by any means. Sam, you you're the defensive rating expert or rating expert. Where are they right now? In defense or fifth? Okay, yeah. So they're fifth in defense, twenty second in offense, and ninth overall in net rating. So it's not awful, you know what I mean? Like it's the the numbers are, you know, the offense is obviously the problem, and they got to fix that. They're gonna um, win. They're gonna win plenty of games, but it's just like I don't know. A lot of times these 
anytime we are describing these teams in the offseason or in the lead up to the season, you kind of are viewing kind of the best version of them. If everything's clicking, if Gobert's doing everything he needs to do well and like, you know, Towns is being used optimally, it's like kind of, yeah, the optimal version of these teams. Then they get on the court and you're like, this this fit is weird. It's just weird. Right. Particularly offensively. Like I saw Towns and Gobert trying to run like a big and big pick and roll, which like, Sounds dangerous in some ways for the opposition to cover, but it was like, man, this looks really clunky right now. I don't know. <laughs> As we say during Halloween, that reminds me of you know those costumes our kids have, have worn them when you have inflatable T Rexes, kind of stumbling around the neighborhood with you know next to uh, and other inflatable dinosaurs. That's that's how that big on big pick and roll uh, looks in my mind. All right, let's keep it moving unless we have any objections to the T-Wolves not looking like title contenders because this other team has got – got plenty to talk about here. Your Philadelphia 76ers out east are 3-4. and four. They got Washington tonight, so they could get back to 500. Um, you know, wins against Indiana, Toronto, Chicago, losses against the Celtics, the Bucks, the Spurs, and also the Raptors. Um we know the story here, you know, are Joel and James going to figure their stuff out? Is Maxie going to elevate? Is Tobias Harris going to find a role that doesn't make him miserable? You know, is Doc Rivers going to make all this stuff come together? Um, so far, not so great, guys. What do you think? They just don't look very good. They've had a tough schedule, too. Uh, the transition defense has been bad. I know that's something that Zach Lowe has talked about a lot, where the transition defense just just doesn't look right. I, I still think that that team has a chance to really figure it out, though, uh, because so much of their stuff is just kind of like inexplicable. Oh, they didn't run back or, oh, they didn't go for that rebound or, you know, whatever it is. It's like it it makes it feel very fixable. And, and maybe if it's one of those Hold teams on, that I, they feel can like I, they have I can I contest on that one? I mean, yeah, yeah. Slaughter me on this. I'm no, probably but wrong. like Joel in particular, like it, what do you mean? It doesn't make sense. He's a massive guy. Who's not, uh, does not appear to be in shape and who might not get there. You know what I mean? Like it's Joel in particular is the poster boy for not getting back on defense. And, you know, he got killed for it on opening night on the national telecast. I think we talked about that before. Uh, that to me, that aspect of it is, is, not going to change. And and some of the wings they have are, you know, Tyrese always gets up and down the floor, but you know, James not exactly known for, for giving us all in transition D. So, I mean, I, I don't know that I see that aspect of it getting better. That's fair. You might be right. That's, that's a, that's a very good contest, Sam. That's I what I no do, baby. I'm like Gobert out here <laughs> contesting. I, I mean, it's, it's concerning. I just, I don't know. I just, I tend to my default mode tends to be when a team is close and they're just not giving effort in the early part of the season. I I, I assume it's going to turn on at some point, and I just I just need to see more than than seven games of of them not looking like themselves before I say like okay this is this is who they are. You know what I mean? I do indeed. Slater, I do like the melting you're- fit for them. I think he's been solid for them. I think that's going to be helpful. He's a good player. Uh, so you're Philadelphia. The Phillies are about to win the World Series. The Eagles are going to win the Super Bowl. And then the Sixers are going to win the title. Like, that is my deep analytical analysis. I just – I believe in 
in the uh clip this baby guess, for the trend. social media video right here. No, please don't. <laughs> I'm on my phone. It's it's not the day for that. Um so I don't yeah, I actually I'm less worried about them than, than some of the other teams we're talking about. Um I think Embiid will play his way into shape. I think the fact that Harden is in better shape is is a very good sign for them. And I do think generally they filled out the roster better uh with, with PJ Tucker and Melton, who, who Fred just mentioned. And I think they're gonna be fine. All right. I mean, I think it'll be fine. I, I I'm not feeling them as uh raising the Larry O'Brien trophy and you know, going I'm not sure I'm feeling of Philly. anybody, but like maybe like nah. the Milwaukee Bucks right now is raising the Larry uh, O'Brien I th- trophy. I, thought we, I mean, it, I thought we all predicted the Cavs to win the whole thing. I thought that's what was happening here. Well, for, yeah, that's yeah. Fred's prediction. I'm not ready to go there yet. But I just <laughs> like, I don't know. I mean, isn't some of the lessons of these early seasons not only the parity in the league, but like generally there's a lot of average basketball by like the consider you know the good teams that we considered um, league wide, really. Yeah. No. Fair enough. All wanna, right. Want to uh, hear Wild Jim's Harden stat? Yeah, let's hear it. Uh, 29% of his shots are coming from 10 feet out to the three-point line. When the heck has that ever been a James Harden thing? Very yeah. odd trend. And by the way... Small sample size. Where's Mike D'Antoni? As I, but it's a change in habits. Like that stat is indicative of a change in habits. And we talk about Harden as this tremendously efficient, high volume guy throughout his career. And even last year, as he fell off, tremendously, um, you know, I guess last year he falls off and, and falls below efficiency. Like he's got a 50% uh, effective field goal percentage right now, which is which is not crazy high efficient. He's He's taking only six free throws a game which is his lowest number since he was a sixth man in OKC. Like it's, it's, I know I was, I was a, the Sixers still turning around kind of guy, but like, I don't know, like for all the talk of Harden's in shape, Harden's here. It's like, those are like, Harden is different. This is different. This is not the James Harden that, that we saw in Houston. It's just different. Stylistically. All right, jumping back over to the West, I am uh, the you know going to again make an executive decision here because while I respect the heck out of Portland's five and one mark, uh, and and feel free guys to jump in with quick analysis, but we're going to get into the the rapid fire part of the pod here down the stretch. Uh, you know, I mean Dame is out for at least a week or two with uh, a groin. What am I forget? Calf, calf strain. Um, you know, he was off to an incredible start. Anthony Simon's doing some good things. Shaden Sharp showing some promise. But, you know, in terms of this contender conversation, they are the outlier here where, you know, nobody expects them to actually contend. But we didn't expect a 5-1 and one record either. Their schedule is about to probably punch them in the face. They have Memphis on Wednesday, uh, back-to-backs against Phoenix in Phoenix, followed by at Miami, at Charlotte, at New Orleans, at Dallas, uh, San Antonio, Brooklyn. I mean, it's a brutal schedule coming up. So we'll see how that goes. Um, any quick thoughts on Portland, gentlemen? Not really. They're, they're better than were... I thought they'd be, I think. Oh, Slater, go ahead. Oh, I was just, uh, you know, you should probably answer this because you were going to actually talk about the Blazers. I just, that schedule r- uh, rundown from Sam reminded me of the weird fact. Maybe it's because I'm in Miami, but the Heat have this weird opening part of the schedule where they're going to be done with the Warriors, Kings, and Blazers within like, 15 games of the season started because they just went and saw those three on the road last week. And 
I'm here right now in Miami. They're about to play Warriors, Kings, Blazers coming up and be done with them. I don't know. It's good. That's the other thing about this early season. Some of the quirks of the schedule play in so much to these records we see, these sample size uh, stuff we see. But sorry they for do. actually discuss the Blazers. I'm sorry for another tangent today. Man, you got any more Jordan Bell stories? <laughs> uh, yeah, I have a lot of Jordan Bell stories. Uh, no. Light a candle, I mean, brother. We can talk about – yeah, there you go. That, I was hoping you would uh, reference that. Uh, back to you, Fred. I just think Dame looks like Dame. And that's just – we didn't know. You know, he missed so yeah. much last year and he's in his 30s and you just – you don't know. And now you watch him play and it's like, okay, well, that is – that's just – Damian Lillard out there just hitting his pull-up threes and by the way nuts and averaging 30. I would say good point. Counterpoint, he just strained his calf after about five games. So as we talk yes. about, you know, his that's body true. holding together, that's also happened. So that is very true. The other thing is uh they're playing okay defense. Like they're they're top ten in defense right now. I don't necessarily think that's gonna hold, but they haven't had Gary Payton the second out there yet. Obviously, he's tremendously important for them uh, defensively. And like this team has been bottom four in defense. How many years in a row? I have this written down. Bottom four in defense three years in a row and bottom half of the league in defense six of the last seven years. Not uh, as then, many years as Sacramento. I got to be on brand with that. Yes, that is true. Uh, but that was a big thing that Chauncey Billups talked about wanting to change when he came in, the defensive culture. And obviously, it didn't it didn't take last year, uh, but but. I do think it's plausible. I, I I think they just have better defensive personnel right now. Jeremy Grant has has worked really well for them, in a little bit closer to that kind of Denver role than he was in in Detroit. Uh, I I and when they get Gary Payton, I think they'll be better. I I think that's a I think that's a play-in team though. I think it's a play-in team, and I think they're like a feisty play-in team. Good stuff. Good stuff. Going back east, uh, I was looking forward to talking about our final East team. Um, I'm actually going to spend my afternoon writing about these Miami Heat. Um, you guys can relate, you know, these days down that we have locker room access again. Some nights at the arena are better than others. You know, I when I saw Memphis, for example, enjoyed seeing their people, didn't end up getting much time with their guys. Uh, and, and it helps us understand kind of where they're at and take a pulse on their group. So with the heat can, you know, and, and kind of contrast to Memphis, um, got some really good time with their guys. Talked to Jimmy Butler for a while. Talked to Kyle Lowry, Bam Adebayo and Tyler hero. We'll have a little bit of a, you know, shameless plug here for when the story comes out, have a perspective piece with all four of those guys weighing in on their two and five start. So they play Slater's defending champion warriors to, uh, tomorrow, the day the pod comes out. And uh, Jimmy, true to form, and I'm not going to lie, last couple of years in terms of media interviews and, and just personalities and guys that I've enjoyed having sit-downs with, Jimmy's on my short list because he is a extremely confident, fascinating, compelling person who never shies away from either a challenge or a soundbite. And so sneak preview of that story, Jimmy tells me uh, the other night that we're going to be fine. We are going to win the fucking championship. That's what he declared. Um, and and I, you would have laughed if you saw my response because I, I think I literally said to him. I, I looked at him sideways and I said, so "Wait, say that again." <laughs> and, and he repeated it and he said, "We're going to win the championship um, for the sake of, you know, of, of making sure I I get it correct here. Uh, let me pull up." 
the uh, the direct quote. Um, it's growing pains. It's not bad, and we're going to be just fine. We're still going to win the championship, and I don't care what nobody says. Count us out. We're going to win the fucking championship. I'm telling you, I don't give a damn that we started two and five. So what do you guys think? I, I love that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I do too. I can already see it as like a, a, a quote board, you know, athletic tweets out. Well, that's already like, in the works, energy. buddy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Um, I don't, I'm not like, oh, oh super concerned. Uh, oh, they're two and five, but I don't think they're going to win the championship. I do not agree with them. I don't think they have the personnel for it. Uh, I think that's, I think they're going to do what they always do. They're going to be like super feisty in the playoffs. They might win a round. We don't expect them to. They might push a team like they pushed the Celtics last year. But at every point of that Celtics series, I always thought the Celtics were going to win up until Jimmy Butler had a three really to go to the finals essentially and missed it. But so maybe, maybe they surprised me, but I don't know. They see they were playing like Udonis Haslam the other day in Sacramento. Eight minutes, and, man. Uh, Eight minutes. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Uh, and just, you know, they're, they're starting Tyler Hero. They're starting smaller. They're very exploitable in those lineups. I just I just don't think they're good enough to be considered uh, a true title contender. But they would say I'm wrong about that, and we will see. What do you think, so Fred? I, I, I say this cautiously because they're they always outplay their talent level. But I just struggle to see them being a high seed this year. They're so shallow and I don't really see how they're going to make it through the regular season because like Jimmy Butler misses games, you know, like Kyle Lowry's in his, in his thirties. Like, are you going to expect him to just be out there for all 82 and, and Lowry 30s, doesn't really 36. Right. Yeah. And, and, and he doesn't create his own shot anymore the way that he used to. He just, he just doesn't. And they're just so shallow. Like it feels like they have seven guys who spoke trusts and that's it. And, and a lot of those guys are like, exploitable when you play against good teams. You know, Max Struess is exploitable and Gabe Vincent is exploitable. And even Tyler Hero, who's a very good player, is a guy you can go out on defense and like, you know, they're 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 kind of out on Duncan Robinson now, right? Like he's yep. he's really not playing very much at all and at all and, yeah. and sat for a lot of their playoff run. And I just I, I don't know what it is. Like I think the defense will be better than it's been. And I don't think two and five is indicative of the season they're gonna have. I think they're a playoff team and I think they have a good chance at being above the plan, but I think they're a lot closer to six than they are to one. Like, I don't know if the heat, for example, they're, they're giving up a ton of corner threes, but they always give up a ton of corner threes. It's part of their scheme. And so it's like, they're, they're tough to evaluate uh, in terms of just like the shots that they're giving up right now, defensively. Uh, to it, that it point, Fred, real quick, it's, last year on the three point front, I looked it up the other day. They, uh, they, I think they led the league, in opponents three point percentage around thirty three and it's it's up around forty right now. And so that is that's a, a major area that's gone in the wrong direction so far. Totally. It's a great point. I mean it looks it when it when it goes bad, it looks really bad because of the way they defend. Like if you're gonna give up a lot of corner threes and you're they're gonna shoot really well, it's gonna look really bad. Uh so so I don't know. I think they're better than they are, but 
they're not they're they're far from flawless. Like they've got some issues they have to make up. And if we're gonna say they're contenders, it's it's because we think Jimmy Butler is awesome. We think Bam Adebayo is awesome, and we think Eric Spolstra is awesome. And and we'll find a way to figure it out because sometimes he just does. Yeah, I mean their explanation so far that at least I think Bears kind of monitoring versus kind of burying of the of, of their prospects is that Tyler starting has been a, a major development that and I talked to him and he's clearly still finding his way he openly talked about not being used to not having the ball as as often as when he was you know the the sixth man candidate um or, or winner rather um the PJ Tucker absence is a massive thing that that a lot of people mentioned to me when I was around them you know uh, the what he brought and and what they missed now um you know you mentioned Struess and and his role changing a little bit from last year, Caleb Martin. So a lot of pieces, like I mentioned to Jimmy, like, man, people forget almost that you guys were one, you know, three away from shocking the world and getting back to the finals and was admittedly kind of like trying to respect what they accomplished last year. And he flipped it the other way and said, man, I hate when people bring that up and talk about what we did last year. Like we have a, he's like, I know we have a lot of the same players, but we have a very different team and we got a lot to iron out and a lot to figure out. And so he's kind of, mentally making a clean cut from last year. And what I do love about the way his mind works is that, that he is, you know, he's in the middle of that chess game right now, trying to figure out where all these new pieces go and, and how they can make this thing work. So we'll see if they can do that. Um, let's jump back over as we wrap up here to the West. Uh, we have not talked about the new Orleans Pelicans coming in at four and two currently, um, you know, good moments, some injuries. They've been without Zion at times and Brandon Ingram and Herb Jones and still one and show and fight and Willie Green can coach and uh, lots to be excited about out there. What do we think of the Pels guys? Deep, super deep. I think you've seen it in these games where they've, um, you know, haven't had Ingram because he had a concussion. They missed Zion for a couple games. And I know they didn't win in Phoenix without, uh, you know, some of their best guys. But they they beat the Mavericks at home. I don't know if you guys watched that. But you just – Yeah, I did watch that. They drafted yeah. well. Yeah, you know, Alvarado obviously was a fine. Herb Jones, what you know, what a pick that's been. Trey Murphy looks great. He was kind of a later lottery. Um, I just – they, you know, I – it's tough to like envision the Pelicans in the West finals and in the NBA finals. And we don't know about their top level, you know, how the Zion Ingram mix will work, you know, when, when, you know, ski teams are scheming deep against them and the defenses are like at a playoff level. So I don't know about like contending status, but man, they just, to me, profile is a really, really good regular season team because a little bit like Memphis last year, you, Zion can sit, you know, seven games and you could theoretically go five and two in those games. Just because I, I think I think they're they have rotation caliber NBA players all the way down to like eleven on the roster, basically. No, I'm with you. To me, they're just they're kind of the, maybe the most fun team on this list from the standpoint of you don't really need to decide what you think right now. It's all so fresh, it's all so new, but the talent level is clearly good enough that you just sit back and watch and and a you know hope that they're healthy like every team we like health, uh, and then b see where the chemistry goes, you know, see where the rotations go, and see how good they can be. There's just no way we can know right now. But if you talk about the best case scenario of what you know that core of of Pelicans, you know, with Zion and Bi leading the way, with CJ McCollum 
can do with the depth that Slater talks about. I mean, it is. They, are they capable of being contenders this year? Like, yeah, stranger things have happened for sure. Not ready to say that just yet, but I, you know, I think the talent's there. Can I make a plea? Make it please a plea. do. This is on. This is this is on behalf. I'm giving props to to Will Guillory, our our wonderful Pelicans beat writer, who has pointed this out to me so many times, and he's so right. Can we, can we all stop saying Trey Murphy the third? His name is Ken Murphy the third. The reason he goes by Trey is because Trey is three, and everyone says Trey Murphy the third, <laughs> but he's not the third Trey Murphy. <laughs> What spot is Ken Murphy he's Ken in Murphy the rotation? The third. Fred, here's he's what I'm Kenneth Murphy the third, or minute. he's Trey Murphy. Make up your mind. If and he you're doesn't doing go by the way, that Ken, so we're gonna call him Trey Murphy, not the third. By the way, that reminds me. I wanted to talk about Jordan Bell's name really quick. Wow. No. <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead. Fred, if we're doing a hierarchy of Pelicans, what number in the rotation is young Ken Murphy? Just pick a number, roughly. Shut <laughs> Young Ken Murphy. Uh, oh, man. Okay, so you got McCollum, you got Zion, you got Ingram, you got Herb Jones. I mean, you don't got to go through the whole list. Just pick a, pick a big number. I think number. I'm putting him five. Yeah. I think I'm putting him five. All right, fine. He's, he's playing really, really well. Wake me five, up when he's in the top the three. Wake you up. Yeah. <laughs> you, you can't make so demands can, on on what you're called until Ken, you're in the top he's three. Kenneth Murphy the third, the fifth. <laughs> Is what he is. That sounds like a character from Succession. All right, guys. We got through the list. Slater, I don't know what sort of Halloween antics you have going on in your hotel room. There's a ghost moving your phone all around. I'm staring at your ceiling and the art behind you and the pipes around you. Uh, You know, one of them pods. We went a little longer than normal. Wanted to give, uh, you know... uh, everybody they're just desserts uh enjoy the evening guys appreciate you and uh we will talk to you next week